Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Amanda, Vice President and CTO of VMware Americas. And they discuss how to design your career path around what makes you happy, how to encourage everyone at your company to innovate and pursue new ideas, and how people may not remember what you do, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Are you on a Starlink connection right now? I am, yeah. So I'm uh, basically the way the VeloCloud works is it routes per packet based on connection performance. So one packet for this might be going out through my point-to-point Wi-Fi because uh, I live out in rural Colorado, and then one packet might be going out Starlink or coming back or vice versa. So basically, there's a, a VeloCloud gateway um, that is kind of like your IP address to the world, and then the two internet connections talk to that. Nice. Did you always live in a rural area, or is that because of the pandemic you got the freedom to, to go out yeah. there? Well, I lived in, I've lived in Colorado over 20 years now, so it sounds like forever, but about before the pandemic, so about four years ago, I was living in Colorado Springs and I decided, hey, there's a bunch of people moving here and I'd like to get away from all this traffic and craziness. So found some land um, out east and purchased that. So that was before the pandemic. And then the house was built and about ready for me to move in a few months before. So it just worked out from a timing perspective to have all this fresh air to enjoy when you know we were on lockdown for all that time. Right. We were in uh, Florida in like a cookie cutter neighborhood uh-huh. and we sold everything, bought an RV, traveled around for like seven months and ended up in um, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. We got this little five acre farm thing oh, and being the nature and just being having <clears throat> the space is so different. Everyone's <laughs> so much calmer and relaxed yes. and enjoys life so much better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I used to live up in the mountains um, Well, while I was waiting for the house to be built. Uh, up at a ski resort that I snowboard at a lot. And so I have a little place up there, but we lived there permanently for a period of time. And just living in that community just slowed me down. And so then coming out here, it's the same thing. So, you know, I talk to folks and like customer service or something on the phone and they're feeling all rushed and like, I'm sorry, it's not working. I was like, don't worry about it. It's okay. So (laughs) definitely helped my mental health and patience too. Absolutely. I love it. And I wish everybody could experience it. Yeah, I bet you some of the city people are like, you guys are crazy. You get pizza at three in the morning. It's like, well, I can make pizza in my kitchen at three in the morning. Exactly. Yeah, nobody (laughs) delivers anything to my house. I can't even get USPS out here. I go to the post office once a week. (laughs) Oh, very cool. Yeah, we. um, one of the cool things about this place uh, was, so it's it's 30 minutes from like pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But through the government grants and stuff, the local fiber company got paid to like run fiber yes. out to like nowhere. And when we bought the house, it was only ran to the street. So we like had to put it in, right. but they said that they had waited 10 years for fiber and all they had before that was like DSL. And yeah. that happened like, you know, right before we bought the house. So I was super excited. So now the internet's awesome. crazy fast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll be there soon. They just, um, uh, the co-op that I'm a part of for electricity, uh, they sent out a letter maybe about a year ago, an email of some sort around um, they now receive uh, funding and grants to be able to provide broadband to all of their customers. So sometime in the next four years, I'll be able to have 
fast internet through a, a cable. But other than that, the only thing that's connected, you know, my house to the grid is, is power. Otherwise it's, you know, septic and well and, and all that other yeah. stuff. Yeah. Same, same. So um, I'm curious, like, because you have Starlink, I have never, I mean, I've been on the pre-order wait list and stuff for a while, but I haven't gotten to actually get a Starlink and hook it all up. Um, what was that experience like? Well, it was extremely easy to hook up. I mean, you just, you know, it's PoE for the dish. For the, the version I have, I think some things have changed since then. Because um, I know some of my colleagues are getting different models with different connections and stuff. So basically tested out, I just put the dish on my deck and, you know, connected it to their router and set up the Wi-Fi and started testing. Um, I thought originally because it wanted to kind of have an angle where it was kind of where my house was blocking it because it was on the deck. I thought maybe that was why I was having some bad experience. So having you know, 35 acres, I just put it in the middle of the land and ran their very long cable and tried it again. And there's definitely a lot of... Um, Beforehand, there were a lot of outages. Like I couldn't do a Zoom call, for example. Um, like I would be dropped every couple minutes for about 15 to 60 seconds. So that was unusable. But using it through Bella Cloud Edge is great. And I think over time, it has improved. There's still some significant packet loss and jitter and latency. Um, but again, having the SD-WAN solution kind of masks that for me. So I wouldn't say it's ready to go Like if it's somebody's only internet connection, unless they just want to stream Netflix or something. But I online game and you know, do my job. So I have to have reliable internet both ways. Oh, nice. What game do you play? I play Elder Scrolls online. Oh, there you go. I think some of our team does that. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I've played since beta. So it's, um, it's a good game. I'm releasing a new update soon. So new trials coming out. I played Call of Duty until I had kids. <laughs> <laughs> that just like killed yeah. killed all any sort of free time. So Right, right. Until they get old enough where they can play with you, then, then you can go yes, back. Yes, that'll be exciting. And then the games <laughs> yeah. will be so complicated, I'll be the old man being like, the kids right. these days. <laughs> so um, how did, I know um, I got to talk with, like, when, the, when I first started the podcast, I think it was the first year, I, I think I talked to Kit Colbert, I think that's mm-hmm. how you say his last name. Yeah, and, uh, Colbert. Yeah, Colbert. Yeah, I always get it wrong. Yeah, I have Stephen Colbert, and I'm like, don't <laughs> get it wrong, like, and then I get it wrong every time. Fifty-fifty shot, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I got to talk to Kit, and I, I think he was like in more of your position now, and and he's doing when I talk to him. But now it seems like he's is he like the CTO of all the CTOs now at VMware? Yeah, yeah. So the way that it works is we have our office of the CTO. And that sits outside of our traditional business units or business groups. And so the office of the CTO is where we have our a lot of our innovation programs and our you know research and development that might not feed directly into a product that we have today or direct line to a business unit for today. And then each business unit might be end user computing or network and security or things like that. They all have their own CTOs. And then um, in the field, we have three. So I'm for the Americas, and Joe Bagley is in EMEA, and then Guru is in, in APJ. So uh, Kit, you know, brings us all together as the technical leaders. We have CTO forums, you know, discuss industry trends and you know, what we need to do inside VMware to improve. Um, so I'm part of Kit's official organization, and then the other eight or nine BU product you know, type CTOs are in their different business units that are, you know, peers to the office of the CTO. Very cool. And so what are like the primary ways that you spend your time? 
Yeah, so most of my time is interacting with customers and partners, talking about our vision and strategy, how we can solve their business problems. I work with our different teams across R&D, so there's different business units, business groups, and influence product roadmap and innovation based on you know, industry trends, customer needs. And then I'm the, the leader of what we call the global field programs. So the field being you know, our, our customer-facing folks like uh, sales engineers, professional services, technical account managers, support, those types of folks. And we have this program where we invite people to apply to be extensions of the office of the CTO so they can amplify our message, so they can bring in direct feedback from customers. Um, so I work with uh, the board for that program, and we have program management around that. And we have almost 200 members, so we can have a full representation of our customer and partner base across the globe based on geo or, or industry or, or all types of things. Oh, that's super cool. And then, yeah. so what do you get together quarterly, annually? How does that work? Yeah, so we do one big conference a year. We just had it um, last month, I think. And then we do weekly calls and the different members and community members have their own projects and initiatives. So there's work that's happening happening year round. We have the calls once or like once or twice a month or three or four times a month, depending on what it is, um, for everyone to get together and be on the same page. But it's really for us to enable folks to do what they find interesting. You know, as long as it's impactful and beneficial to VMware or our community. Um, you know, they're basically given the support that we can provide and the connections that we can give so they can go do cool stuff. And what are you seeing as far as like macro trends? Yeah, uh, you know, the, the biggest one, it's funny because I've been spending a lot of time uh, working with Kit on defining what multi-cloud is and looking to create this term that the industry can agree upon. And then, of course, I spent a lot of time talking to customer executives about cloud and what I've seen is, you know, the companies that have started or started two to five or six years ago, they're really reevaluating what their approach was and what their strategy was, because they're finding that maybe they set certain business goals or, you know, had certain use cases or ROIs, and those are not being met. Um, you know, it didn't, it didn't work out how they thought it would, right? And that's because we know a lot more than what we did before. And so now a lot of my conversations are around, what is what is your definition of success? Like the, and and a lot of times when I ask an executive that they're like, oh, like, we're trying to figure it out, or I never thought of it in that way, or something like that. And so for the companies that have been trying it intentionally or unintentionally, right? Sometimes the line of business goes out and, and does something in a public cloud, or or sometimes there's an acquisition, and so that wasn't an intentional approach from the company, or some that had a strategy in place. Now they're reevaluating and saying, well, maybe that was my measure of success or my goal two to five, six years ago. Um, but now we need to look at it again because the work is very hard. You know, a single cloud to use that properly is very hard. But trying to use multiple clouds, it's not, you know, it's an exponential increase in difficulty. So folks need are, are really thinking about, you know, what benefits do I receive from using cloud native services or multi-cloud services? And what should I do that's the most benefit to my business? And so do you specialize like with any specific vertical, like medical or, or some industry, or do you just focus on the technology as it applies to all industries? So I've always been a generalist when it comes to technology and to industries. I am working on a couple of co-innovation projects recently, um, particularly for the edge 
so it does align to manufacturing and oil and gas. But in working across different teams inside VMware, you know, whether it is those industries or retail or you know, some sort of utility, substation power, that, kind of, that type of stuff, the tech is pretty much all the same. And so just that extra 10% might be tweaked for an industry use case, or maybe there's a different workload, but it has the same profile as a different industry. Um, so I'm finding with a lot of these edge projects that we're leading with our customers and our partners, you know, we're coming together inside VMware and saying, okay, we have these 10 projects, but really there's these three requirements that we need to meet for, you know, Tanzu Kubernetes grid or, or something like that. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems that like the lower you get in the stack, the more applicable it is across industries. So if I'm like in business logic and I'm, it helps if I know real estate knowledge, if I'm building real estate, you know, business management software um, versus maybe like an audio streaming service, right? Right. But if you get really farther low, like lower in the stack and maybe you're doing like network switches, it doesn't really matter that much, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone needs to run their workload and they might choose to use, you know, cloud native services and that's where hyperscalers come in. Or maybe they run it as a virtual machine or a container or serverless, and we all need infrastructure to run it on. And, you know, that's, I think at the infrastructure level, as long as you can provide those runtime services of virtual machines, containers, et cetera, uh, serverless, like you're good. Um, but then when it comes to the specific industry use cases, that's where having a, uh, like a tailored solution to the industry or the use case itself is important because maybe you need, um, you know, you're doing machine learning. So, hey, I need some GPUs in here. I'm doing high-performance computing, so I need this type of hardware. And so that's where those specifics and that fine-tuning come in, where you can't always get that in a hyperscaler. A hyperscaler is more like, hey, we're general. You know, We provide compute you know, capabilities, runtime capabilities, but we don't always, you know, the hyperscalers don't always have that fine-tuning capability for those specific use cases. So, you're right. You know, as long as you can have an application running and somewhere, then then you're good. Um, but you know, the devil's in the details, and you have to make sure everything is secure, and you can monitor and observe it, and it's performing well, and and all that stuff. And that's where the tricky part comes in. Absolutely. Like as I was saying, then I was like, wait, maybe it probably really does matter with like the switches and the routing if you're doing video <laughs> stuff versus a different type. Yeah. Um, but I I was curious to talk a little bit um, about you. Um, because when we were doing our research on you, um, one of the things that we kept seeing was like your reference to values and like doing the right things. And I was like, I like that. That's, okay. that's my style. But I was curious. I was like, where does she where does she get her values from? Like looking back, uh, was it from your parents? Or, like, how do you think you acquired these values? Yeah, that's a, a good question. Because um, I recently received this promotion uh, to VP and CTO. I've been at VMware 12 years, so I started as a sales engineer myself. And when I received the promotion, you know, people reach out on LinkedIn or, or whatever and, you know, say congratulations. But I had a, a mentor many years ago, uh, maybe, I don't know, a good, a good 17 years ago, I think I worked for her or, or worked with her or, or both. And when she saw the news on, on LinkedIn, she said, you know, it's, it's so great to see you accomplish this. And she said, I remember you coming into my office and I don't know if she used the word complaining, she probably used a nicer word, but she's like, you know, complain about how people weren't doing the right thing and how you just want everybody to do that. And so, you know, 17 years ago, I was that person. And so I think, you know, it must've come from my childhood. It must've come from, 
also I played a lot of sports and being on teams, you know, like it isn't just about an individual person. Of course, individuals need to play well, but they need to play in the sense like I'm thinking of the other 10 people on the soccer field or the other four people on the basketball court or, or the other five people in the volleyball court or whatever it might be. Um, and I think, you know, people like teams are only as good as, as how they all play together and the chemistry and the support. And that's probably where it came from too. Cause I'm a big believer that sports, especially at a high level do prepare people to, you know, be good humans and, and to be successful in, in their professional careers too. You're right. Because growing up, I played sports a lot. Um, And what I'm, as you're talking about that, what I'm thinking is that was really the only place where I got to interact with my peers under stress. Yeah. Like at school, I mean, doing a project, whatever that's, but there's physical stress in a, in a sport and you're having to basically do this unspoken negotiation between your teammates in order to achieve the objective. And so, yeah, I think there is a connection there between sports and experience with working uh, with a team in like the real world. Yeah. And also I think there's that grit or that, that sense of, you know, there's, you you just can't give up, you know, you just, you just don't stop in the middle of a game or, you know, when you're practicing and training, somebody pushes you beyond your physical limits or beyond your mental limits and you improve. And that's just as ingrained in me as a person that, you know, I don't say no, or if somebody says no, what's the path to yes, or, you know, how do I fix this? Or if I didn't make this team, you know, what do I need to improve as a goalkeeper or whatever it is to be able to make that team? So I think there's this, just this constant of, of, you know, I just need to improve myself and I need to improve myself for my team members and for my coaches or whoever it might be. Um, So I'm playing at the level that they need me to play at. And I just, bring that with me into the working world. And and so to me, that's doing the right thing is being the best version of myself. And then also standing up for people that, that maybe don't have that same privilege um, or, you know, for customers that, that, you know, maybe our software you know had an issue or a bug or it wasn't configured properly or something and making sure that they get the help that they need, because, you know, that also lends to, um, you know, equality where, you know, sometimes I think software companies say, oh, this is some large customer name or some large brand and they're going to get all the attention. But no, you know, VMware has hundreds of thousands of customers. We want to treat them all, you know, equitably um, and, and give them the support and attention that, that they all need. So, you know, those are, those are some things that are important to me. I've also learned that um, uh, big brands are really exciting at first, like, you know, getting a client. But after you get to work with them, what you realize is it's really just people on a team and those people can move between the brands. And so what it really comes down to is relationships and trust if you want to win long-term, right? Yeah, that's Um, true. Yeah, yes. Um, You said, so one of the things I wanted to bring up to you was um, in relation to the doing things right. So, you know, I I get to interview like a lot of different CTOs and I'm constantly being nerdy about trying to figure out commonalities between them and sort of share them with the world and everything like that. And one of the things uh, that's in the new in a new book that I'm writing is uh, exactly what you you just described, right? Um, about like sort of how you think in your mindset that, that you just described. Having that mindset is one of the rare things and I find it extensively in the top 1% of the top 1%. Wow. The thing that you do differently that I haven't seen before is you mention it in your public content and I love it. So I just wanted to point that out and tell you that that to me really stood out 
that that was like your it wasn't I've worked on these projects or I have this yeah. education or I've you know whatever award you started out with like I think the first sentence was like doing the right things that's kind of what it started with and and I was like I really I really thought that 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 stood out to me. So, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. You're kind of awesome. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> How did you even meet uh, VMware? I know you said you started as a sales engineer, but yeah. was it just applying to a job online or? No, it was, um, it was a, a kind of a funny story, I think. Uh, so the first time I used VMware technology was 17 years ago. Uh, and I was a, sysad, a sysadmin at a manufacturing company. And I was a server person. It was time for server refresh. And the VMware account team came in and they were like, hey, this is virtualization and this is what it does. And here's vMotion, you know, so like my jaws on the floor. Oh my gosh, I can migrate a running workload. So, so I was all about it, you know, geeking out. And, um, and then it was time for server refresh of 100 servers or something. And so I built the business case and presented it to the CIO and, and she approved the project. And so that was my first, you know, production rollout of, of ESX 254 or something like that was the production rollout. And so I just love the technology since, and I left that company and worked for um, EDS doing, um, I think it was called infrastructure rationalization, data center consolidation, but basically the same stuff like server refresh or helping customers use EDS um, managed services. And then HP bought EDS, and I didn't really want to work for HP based on what I heard some of my, because um, I used HP servers and HP uh, storage before, and and there was an employee that that was telling me some some things were going on, and and they were you know scaling back their business. So I wasn't really excited about working there, and I found a position with folks that I used to work at uh, work with before at a company called IHS. And so for IHS, I was the um, technical architect around all things infrastructure minus network, because there's another person for that. And so I was building out, um, it was about the time that vSphere 4 was in beta, and HP had these new C7000 chassis blades and this new Flex10 technology, and Cisco was supporting Nexus 1000B, all this all this brand new tech that never worked together before, that never existed. I'm like, okay, I'm going to make it all work together, and that's going to be our new reference architecture. Not just because it was new, but because there are a lot of benefits it could provide. So when I was doing that, I was also trying to build out this um, self-service site for the IHS like salespeople or sales teams to be able to demo the, the software that or the capabilities that we provided. And so I was trying to like front end with virtual desktops that they could log into and then use a solution called Lab Manager for um, like the environment to come online so they could use you know on-demand demo. And uh, so I was doing a bunch of, you know, complicated stuff with VMware tech. And so my SE at the time called me up, um, like after work, you know, one evening and said, hey, I'm taking another job inside VMware. Would you like mine? And I was like, yes, of course, because I love the tech. I was a bit nervous because I'd never been in sales. I was a little concerned about that maybe affecting my technical credibility. Um, but I wanted to work for the company for a very long time since that first project because I love the tech. I loved, um, you know, just how helpful people were. Like if I called them to support, I had this NT4O machine I was doing a P2V for, and it just uh, wouldn't come online. And VMware tech support was helping me with that, you know, it wasn't their responsibility. Um, so I just really loved the culture and the people and the tech. And so I got this opportunity to interview for that position. And 
And that's how I started. And I found out afterwards what I was trying to build out already existed inside VMware. We call it OneCloud now. And I was like, why couldn't you just tell me that? <laughs> I could have used it as opposed to going through, you know, all this work for the last six months. So it was funny. That is awesome. And yeah. so I saw your climb through VMware and you were there for several years or you're there for several years so far. Mm-hmm. And then it but help me understand this. It almost looked like in your last promotion that you were on this team and then you got promoted to be like essentially the leader of the people you were previously peers with. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. What was that transition like? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been, um, it's been interesting. I've been talking about this with a couple of folks recently because there's people that at VMware, um, you know, still in, in technical individual individual contributor positions that, um, you know, I started around the same time as them. And so it changes, it doesn't change, but it changes the relationship uh, between us, you know, because we're still friends. We still work together for a long time. We still interact in the same way. But then I also feel this personal responsibility to be, you know, an executive leader at the company. So then sometimes I have to carry myself differently or, or, you know, um, maybe, uh, you know, do different things that, that these other folks aren't involved in. And so it's, it's personally for me, it's different to navigate because I'm a pretty straightforward, blunt person. So, but I, I have to make sure that I have the, the correct hat on or the correct personality for the, the setting or the interaction. And so when I received, so, you know, as I moved up through the ranks and became a principal systems engineer in the field and then moved to the office of the CTO and became a, a chief technologist, the, the programs I was telling you about before, the global field, I started as a CTO ambassador um, about two years into my career at VMware, and I think that gave me so many opportunities to be able to get to where I am today. And so that's why I'm so proud to be able to lead that program and give everybody else these opportunities. But about that time when I moved to the office of the CTO and was no longer in the field, and I was then responsible for um, helping out the principal promotions and the global field programs and things like that, that relationship shifted a little bit. And then um, over, and then I was part of this group called the Advanced Technology Group, which still exists, but now it's part of the organization, the Research and Innovation Organization, the Office of the CTO. And so when I received my promotion, there was these reorgs that happened, and the RNI team was formed. And so then I moved from the ATG team up to the RNI team, which changed things a little bit as well. But the culture of VMware is so cool that it doesn't really matter, you know, what people's titles are. Um, or, you know, what the hierarchy is, like everybody works so well together, you know, and, 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 and is out to, to do the right thing, honestly, like everybody's so helpful. And VMware always talks about, or people talk about VMware's culture, whether they're employed there or have been or, or want to be or something like that. So the hierarchy, even though, you know, it shows up in the HR systems, doesn't really affect how we do our jobs. But for me personally, it's a little different to navigate. Yeah, it's pretty great when, like obviously there has to be hierarchy and structure for certain yeah. things, right? But when it comes to ideas, I personally love the meritocracy. Like I don't care if you're the janitor or whoever. If you have some great idea with some logic behind it that's going to help the company grow, like shout it from the rooftops. Yeah. Yeah. And we have programs structured just for that too. So we have something called X Labs where anybody in the company can can come forward and say, Hey, I have this idea for this new tech, a, you know, a new market we can enter or a big addition to what we already do. And if the X lab teams approve it, then they are now 
that person's job has changed from whatever they were doing before to leading this project in X Labs. And we get them program managers and engineers and whatever they might need to be able to bring this prototype, you know, to, to fruition and see how we can route it into different business units and product teams. So, you know, to your point, you know, you can be anyone inside VMware and you have this idea that's a good match for our strategy and for the company. And, um, and you know, next thing you know, you could be leading an X-Labs project, which becomes the next great thing at VMware. I think that's really big in your culture because I'm just stretching back like three years when I talked to Kit and I think he brought up a story very similar to or, or a story that represented that value of working on some project and, and expanding in the company, which um, that's really cool. So that's that's pretty that's open something you guys you hear a lot in your culture at, at VMware. Absolutely. Now, so this week is uh, what we call radio research and development innovation offsite. So think of it like um, a combination of VMworld and a science fair, but just internal. So it has an academic, you know, kind of an academic feel to it. But it's really about getting all of our engineers together physically and virtually um, to discuss, you know, what are you thinking about? And, and people submit papers and proposals and posters and things like that. And, and their ideas might come from the area that they're responsible for. Uh, but the, the best part about it is when people present these ideas, and have these posters and these papers, it's about all the other teams interacting because we have you know, over 10,000 engineers at the company. So not everybody gets to talk to each other, but when we have a conference specific for talking about these ideas and these innovations, then people from different product teams can see what's happening. And you know, it's a lot, um, it's just this really exciting energy and everybody's just so happy to, to get together and collaborate in this way that you know, sometimes throughout the rest of the year, it's just not possible. It's probably a good time to mention like vmware.com slash careers. I hope that URL exists. If it doesn't, we'll put it in the show yeah. notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Slash careers, absolutely. Or find the careers on Twitter or LinkedIn or, or anything. Nice, nice. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about like next generation people because we that's a huge part of our audience, individuals that want to grow in their career. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, like what sort of advice that you might have for somebody that is either just starting out or individual contributor and they want to grow in their career? You know, I give a couple talks about, um, about career. So I used the, or for the last few years, it was called um, achieving happiness, building your brand and your career. And the reason I start with achieving happiness is because the first part of the talk is the most important. And it's about figuring out what brings you happiness and joy in life, right? Like, Job, yes, we'll get there, but like what it is about life, you know, we we're just talking about fresh air and, and being out and be able to enjoy the country and, and rural settings and things like that. And, you know, some people might want to mountain climb or race cars or travel the world or whatever it might be. But to be in touch and know what that is, is the most important step. And then go next to your job and say, well, you know, ignoring what my title is or what my company has to offer, like, what is it that I enjoy doing? You know, do I like to be hands-on keyboard? Do I like to present? Do I like to influence? Do I want to manage people? Like, what is it that I want to do? And then once you have those two sets of information, then you can say, all right, what conflicts, right? So if I want to, you know, maybe eventually be a CTO one day, well, maybe I can't work 20 hours a week and, and travel and mountain climb and, and things like that. Um, but also, you know, what, because the life happiness is so important that 
you don't want the job happiness to, or what you think would be job happiness to get in the way because you're going to have to make compromises or sacrifices. And I highly recommend compromise over sacrifice because that's where burnout happens and people, you know, get unhappy. So as long as somebody understands what they want to do in their life and then understands what they want to do during their working hours, then they can start to determine what the career path is. Um, so when people are early in their career or young people, like, I just encourage them to have fun. You know, like you can work when you're older. Like, you know, we'll get here. You'll have more responsibilities, family, kids, you know, mortgage, whatever it might be. But, you know, if you're a young person, like clearly geek out with technology and be excited about it and play with it and, and enjoy your job. Um, but also take a lot of time to have fun outside of work, too. Are any of those talks on YouTube? I don't think so. So they are on the VMworld site um, for the last couple of years. But I, I actually created a new one that I gave at a St. Louis VMUG last week. Yeah, I think it was last week. And I'm going to do it again at the Denver VMUG in a couple of weeks. And it's called From SE to VP. And it was specifically like Ooh. what I had to do to get to my position and what I learned and what my different roles were about and, and all the soft skills that, that I had developed to come along with it. So I think um, I might be giving that talk at VMware Explore, which is the rename of VMworld for this year. Um, but it'll definitely be at the Denver VMUG in a couple of weeks. And then, you know, trying to get it on, on YouTube uh, is important. I just have to figure out the best way to do that. Um, SE software engineer? Yeah. So systems okay. engineer or, or systems sales engineer. engineer. Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, to VP, like vice president, right? Yeah. I just want to make sure mm -hmm. I got the acronyms right. Okay. You know, it's, that is my pet peeve when people use acronyms and don't, you know, say what they are. So actually on my first slide in the presentation, the title slide, I have a key in the bottom right corner and spell it out. SE equals systems engineer, VP equals vice president, CTO equals chief technology officer. Because it's, you know, like there's so much technology out there. And as soon as people start throwing around acronyms, it's like, I don't even understand the base technology. Now you're using acronyms that I don't know either. Like I'm not learning, you know, make it easier for me to learn. Yeah. Elon Musk hates acronyms. <laughs> oh, does he really? <laughs> well, he has a notorious letter to his company several years ago where he wrote like a, a letter to all the employees about like not using acronyms. And he just ranted about it for a thousand words or so. Yeah. And, uh, I totally get it. was fun. Yeah. <laughs> So if you had to pick the single most important thing, I know they're all very important, um, yeah. but if you had to pick the single thing that you wanted people to remember three months after they heard you give that talk, what would that one thing be? There's a quote that I use from uh, Maya Angelou that says, uh, people remember, people don't remember what you say or what you did, but they remember how they make you feel. And so- That is one of my top quotes it. ever. Is yes. it? Oh my gosh. It's oh, my, yeah. one of my favorite. Yes. Oh, for sure. Because um, the reason why is I found out uh, when I heard that, I think I was in high school okay. and whatever happened is I heard that, but I also saw that playing out in human relationships. And okay. I could see that like it doesn't, uh, one of the things that I had seen happen a bunch of times is somebody would say something with with one tone, but the words were almost a different meaning. And then the individual would walk away like that was a bad conversation. And it was because right. the person speaking didn't have self-awareness of, of how they were coming across. And so yeah. I just saw several instances of that happening. And whenever I yeah. take information in and then see it in my real life, it just sticks really hard. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. And absolutely. And, and it, you know, also goes back to like career and building your brand and things like that. Like I make mistakes all the time, like all the time, you know, like I, I say things in a way that should have been crafted a little bit better, you know, a little bit more political diplomatic, or, you know, maybe I asked somebody to do something wasn't their responsibility. There's plenty of things that, that I do that are not correct, but back to doing the right thing, you know, as long as, as long as if I do make a mistake and I apologize or admit it and I correct it, you know, hopefully people have that feeling like, Oh, Amanda messed up, but she does value, you know, um, me or, or the situation or whatever. And she wants it to be better. So, you know, hopefully they don't remember me messing up because I don't want anyone to know that. Um, but you know, I want them to feel, feel, you know, three months later, six months later, like, Oh, you know, Amanda is, is, you know, a good person, a good human and does want to help other people. And so, you know, when you, when you go to build a brand in your career, that's important because to get the next job, people are already talking about who's the best fit for whatever that next job is. And so having that brand is really associated with how you make people feel because it's so intangible. You can't really measure it. It's this gut feeling, this perception you know, about how somebody else perceives you. So if they constantly remember how you made them feel and it was in a positive sense, well, then your brand at work or in your career is going to get you very far. Absolutely. Also, because we're at, as humans, like we are going to end, you know, when we end this conversation, we could not transcribe it back off of our memory, but we can right. remember like a couple topics and how we right. felt about the conversation. And that's so yeah. interesting because you, you can remember that in years, like three years down the road, someone's like, Oh, the modern CTO podcast. You'll be like, Oh, I remember that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about yeah. farms. Yeah, that's what I remember. <laughs> I'll remember other things too. <laughs> uh, can I share my favorite quote in Please that? Do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I wasn't always great. There was a point where, like, I had a, like a, a wake up call. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in my early twenties, um, I was kind of like coasting, and then I started trying intentionally. And in between there was a lot of pain. But this one quote was like, at the moment of transition, I heard it, and it just like and scripted itself like engraved itself like right on my brain but um the quote is uh, but the most frustrating thing in the world is expecting above average results without being an above average person hmm. and at the time i heard that i was not being an above average person but i was wanting <laughs> yeah. the above yeah. average results right yeah. so when people are going from like you know individual contributor or they they want more and they want leadership like yeah. I often will tell them, like, are you, you want these above average results? You want this more rare opportunity? Are you being that person? Yeah, that's very similar to a quote that I like called, um, that goes, the difference between, between ordinary and extraordinary is that little extra. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's very similar. I feel like we should take a picture of your Colorado mountain line and then just put that text right over it. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That'll be my new, my new banner. Absolutely. Well, this was fantastic. Is there any topics that uh, we didn't get to maybe something VMware is doing or that press or something that, that we didn't cover or did we cover everything? I think it's covered. Um, you know, the, the whole multi-cloud topic is, is very close to, to VMware strategy overall you know, because there are different options for cloud and, and some folks want to use AWS capabilities and services and some in Azure and some in GCP, et cetera. And those are always, you know, can be great fits for certain types of workloads. Uh, but at VMware, our goal is to be able to help people run their workloads where they wish securely with the same operational model. Because as folks use 
you know, AWS, they have the AWS team and AWS tools and that sort of thing. But as soon as they try to run that application built on those services somewhere else, it just doesn't because those services aren't available. So our focus as a company is for, you know, not just VMware-based workloads or vSphere-based workloads or virtual machines, but all workloads to be able to secure them and help people, you know, run them where it's best for their business. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.